Today's show is sponsored by Panoptica. Panoptica simplifies container deployment, monitoring, and security, protecting the entire application stack from build to runtime. Scalable across clusters and multi-cloud environments, Panoptica secures containers, serverless APIs, and Kubernetes with a unified view, reducing operational complexity and promoting collaboration by integrating with commonly used developer, SRE, and SecOps tools. Panoptica ensures compliance with regulatory mandates and CIS benchmarks for best practice conformity. Privacy teams can monitor API traffic and identify sensitive data while identifying open source components vulnerable to attacks that require patching. Proactively addressing security issues with Panoptica allows businesses to focus on mitigating critical risks and protecting their interest. Learn more about Panoptica today at panoptica.app. That's panoptica.app. Cloudcast Media presents from the massive studios in Raleigh, North Carolina. This is the Cloudcast with Aaron Delb and Brian Gracely, bringing you the best of cloud computing from around the world. Good morning, good evening, wherever you are. Welcome back to the Cloudcast. We are coming to you live from the massive Cloudcast studios here in Raleigh, North Carolina. Aaron usually does the Cloud News of the Week. Uh, unfortunately, Aaron uh, was out doing some traveling last week. He had some work travel to do and uh, came down with whatever funk seems to be, uh, you know, kind of a regurgitation of the flu or maybe some sort of COVID or something has just uh, wiped him out. So unfortunately, uh, I am doing the Cloud News of the Week. I guess not unfortunately, but just, uh, you know, changing things up a little bit. Uh, good to be back with you all. Hope you're all doing well. Um, I'm going to keep this fairly short. Um, not a ton, a ton of news this week. There's a couple of... Uh, couple of big events happening this week. VMware is having their um, VMware Explore, what used to be called VM World uh, event is going on. Um, so there were some announcements that came out today. Uh, I'm recording this on Tuesday night. This show goes out on Wednesday morning. Um, I have not, I've been out and about all day long. I've not had a chance to go through all of the announcements. I put the links in the show notes so you can dig into them. I did get a chance to do kind of a quick uh, run through um, lots and lots of stuff around uh, what they call sort of their cloud foundation, um, their NSX, uh, vSAN technology. So a lot around their infrastructure um, got updates in terms of scalability, um, a lot of integration, it looks like, with NVIDIA, um, lots of links in the show notes. And then also um, a number of sort of incremental updates to the Tanzu platform around a couple of different things, both in terms of cost management for cloud, um, uh, some application development stuff and so forth. But I apologize for not having dug into them. I'm actually recording this. Uh, Aaron Aaron gave me the wave the white flag about being sick. I was on a plane, so I'm recording this fairly late and I uh, have not done all of my homework, but did want to make sure the links were in there. Uh, a couple of other things uh, regarding VMware. Uh, they did get regulatory uh, sort of sign-off and approval, or they did not, Broadcom did, uh, both in the U.S. as well as the U.K. Uh, those were sort of two of the last three major hurdles they needed uh, in order to get sort of full uh, sign-off from all of the global regulatory agencies. Um, the last one that's still outstanding is China. Uh, I don't have any sense of how long that one will take, but uh, uh, you know we've been we've been quite a while uh, in waiting for this to happen, and this is not unusual for for two huge huge companies like this to merge. I mean, we're talking about sixty plus billion dollars, so very very large acquisition. Lots of people need to sign off on it, make sure it's not anti competitive and uh, whatever other sort of uh, political trade offs they need to make. So, um, but we will we will try and do some more analysis of the VMware uh, VMware Explorer. It's weird to not call it VMworld event, uh, but we'll get that for you probably um, in next week's Cloud News of the Week. A couple of other quick notes. Um, anybody who is 
big into Python or big into like what everybody likes to call uh, every man's, uh, you know, sort of big data. Uh, they use Excel and huge Excel spreadsheets and, and use Excel for your analytics. Um, Microsoft is bringing Python to Excel. Uh, I believe it's only in the cloud version of Excel, at least in the near term. But uh, for anybody who is sort of a, a data scientist or a data scientist light, you do a lot of work in Excel, uh, you will be getting Python fairly soon. So if you haven't gone and learned Python, now would be a good time to go about doing that. Um, you know, if you're doing stuff in, you know, macros and other sort of uh, wizardry that people do with, with Excel, uh, Python is, is now on your, uh, maybe on your Christmas list for the year. And then finally, uh, we talked a little bit uh, a few weeks ago, maybe a month or so ago, about, uh, I guess, Instagram or meta threads, the alternative to uh, Twitter, um, you know, took off like a rocket ship right at the beginning. Um, we sort of got involved with it. We have an account over there. Uh, I feel like I haven't paid attention to it that much. It still feels like it's it feels like it's got some good things to it. It also feels like it's missing some really basic things like search and hashtags and stuff that we kind of expect from a Twitter clone. Uh, but just um, real quick, they are doing a number of updates next week. So if you haven't been paying attention to it, maybe you got an account early on, um, they are coming out with a web version of it as opposed to just a mobile version of it. Um, I suspect they will also roll out a bunch of new features. So if you uh, got on the Threads bandwagon right when it came out and maybe you've waned a little bit, haven't really paid attention to it, uh, next week has got some big updates. So maybe take a look at that as well. So I'm going to kind of wrap up Cloud News of the Week. There wasn't a ton of, ton of stuff. The other thing that kicks off, I believe, tomorrow is the uh, Google Next event. So sort of the Google Cloud uh, event will be kicking off. That will be another one that we will be watching. It is good to have um, big in-person events back again, big keynote speeches, uh, so we can get a sense of what's going on with companies, um, really good breakout sessions, all that kind of stuff. But uh, that is kicking off, I believe, tomorrow, which would be Wednesday. So we don't have, other than um, some stuff from like Richard Sirota and some others who put out some good newsletter stuff, we don't have uh, that covered for you because it's happening tomorrow. So we will try and make sure we cover that in next week's Cloud News of the Week. But anyways, uh, hopefully Aaron will be back. Hopefully he's taking his meds, getting some rest, getting some fluids in him. Uh, he will be back for Cloud News of the Week next week. I will be back on Sunday to do Sunday Perspective. And coming up, we've got a great show really digging into kind of an alternative way of looking at uh, event-based applications, streaming, uh, kind of alternatives to Kafka with the folks at Memphis. So we'll be right back with that after the break. Is your cloud bill out of control? Cloud Zero is building a platform that will let you analyze your cloud investment faster than ever before. You'll get accurate, granular visibility into your total cloud spend without the typical pitfalls of legacy cloud cost management tools like endless tagging or clunky Kubernetes support. Cloud Zero is how cloud-driven companies gain more financial control and predictability by driving immediate and ongoing savings. You can answer questions like, how can I save 20% of my cloud bill right now? Who are my most expensive customers? How much does this specific feature cost our business? Join companies like Rapid7, Drift, and SeatGeek by visiting cloudzero.com slash cloudcast to get started today. Again, please visit cloudzero.com slash cloudcast to get started today. This episode is supported by the AWS Insiders podcast. AWS Insiders is a fast-paced, entertaining, and insightful look behind the scenes of AWS and cloud computing. I'm a subscriber to AWS Insiders, and I love Rahul and Hillary's practical analysis and interviews. As an F1 racing fan, the recent episode on how AWS and F1 partnered together to make the races more exciting was especially entertaining. Search for AWS Insiders in your podcast player. We'll also include a link in the show notes. 
My thanks to AWS Insiders for their support. And we're back, and we have a really interesting follow-up to another show we actually did recently. So in the streaming space, and more specifically Kafka and Kafka Alternatives, there's been a lot of interest here lately from the listeners. And oh, by the way, out there, um, if you have ideas for shows, guests, topics, we always want to hear about that. But I have a fantastic guest this week. I have Yanev Ben-Chemo, co-founder and CEO at Memphis.dev. First of all, Yanev, welcome to the show. And please tell everyone a little bit about your background and what brought you to create Memphis.dev. Thank you. Thank you very much for the introduction, Aaron. And, and thank you for, for having me in the show. Um, well, so my name is Yaniv. Uh, a bit about myself, 30 years old, uh, married with one uh, one kid. I always like to start with the personal life before uh, getting into the, uh, uh, the the developer and the development and programming and, and more technical stuff. Uh, so that's me. Um, I started my career as a developer since I was like, 10 years old. Uh, I've been a developer since all my life. A developer and, and a builder usually try to build something. Uh, can be hardware or software, uh, but usually I will be uh, I will be building something. Um, I started my career as a developer, then, uh, uh, then in cloud architecture, and then uh, I found my passion in data. So data architecture, data engineering, data analyst. Um, I built a bunch of data platforms from uh, fewer petabytes uh, a month, all the way to hundreds uh, of petabytes uh, a month in different enterprises uh, across the globe. Um, and then I found um, another passion called uh, data streaming or real-time data. Um, and to be more specific, a message broker, which I think one of the most fascinating components that uh, we have in modern software architecture, uh, because it can be stretched to so many use cases uh, around the data domain, uh, and yeah, so I I I I found it highly fascinated as a as a builder, um, and I thought that um, the current uh, I would say tools or technologies uh, really didn't make a lot of uh, sense for me as a developer uh, and as a data uh, engineer to work with. Uh, I found myself. Uh, working most of the time tweaking and, and and optimizing and working around the infrastructure and building wrappers around uh, the message broker or the data streaming platform that I was using uh, at that time instead of concentrating on extracting value and, and building applications around it. Uh, so I decided to change that and build uh, a modern one, an easier one, a one that a message broker or a data streaming platform uh, that would be able or that would enable uh, its users to concentrate on extracting value and do more with the data that has been uh, transferred through the platform itself. That's Fantastic. that's me and that's us. Fantastic. Thank you for that. And I'll just say this too. I, you know, I, I've... I followed the streaming space, if you will, from afar for, for a while. Like I have a, a data background as well. Um, but it feels like uh, the adoption of this 
isn't just increasing, but increasing exponentially, right? And and it's a lot of like the ability to adjust in time delivery model and doing things a lot faster. And it's an evolving architecture that is certainly worth following for everyone out there. But maybe let's start at the beginning, right? Because most folks will know Kafka. They will at least know of it and, and the uses for it. And so most folks might want to know, like, why a streaming alternative? Isn't Kafka good enough? What what challenges did you encounter? Right. So um, Kafka is definitely uh, a very good product, uh, a very well-architected architected, uh, tool, I would say. Um, so it's not necessarily just to become better. I think that the set of challenges that we um, that we put on the table when we started to um, think about the future solution or the future vision or where the market should uh, should go to in the coming years i think that we that we place different um i would say d- different challenges than just a faster kafka a more efficient kafka a cheaper kafka than we usually hear when we uh when we scan or uh, uh, or go across the different uh the different Technologies that uh, that that was uh, that was built in the in the last uh, several years. Um, so I think that the challenges that we wanted to tackle when we looked at Kafka and uh, and other um, and other services in that area was first of all um, the ease of use. I think that even highly skilled organizations um, with all the, the the hands and all the teams that uh, the needed for uh, for that task um, are able to uh, to work on that it's still a very complicated piece of technology uh, to work around uh, it requires a lot of uh, knowledge and experience uh, in both distribution uh, distributed architecture uh, in storage systems in real-time data and I think that um, that learning curve um, that was like the initial challenge that we placed on the table and the second one uh, was that if I'm a developer uh, or if I'm a platform engineer um, in 2023, uh, would it really make sense um, for modern teams and modern companies to build a dedicated team, which actually happens today, a dedicated team just to handle uh, my organizational Kafka? I think that not. Um, moving forward from the day one issues of the infrastructure and, and scalability and maintenance and troubleshooting and all of those stuff, um, we also, within our team, within our uh, one of my co-founders, um, Sveta, brings the data analyst and the data scientist point of view or perspective. Um, at the end of the day, a message broker is all about um, or event streaming platform is all about bringing data from different sources and uh, and and make them available for uh, different inter- different interfaces and different consumers within the organization to consume and do something with it. The people that are um, that are responsible to do something with the data that is being collected um, usually needs to go to a whole different platforms, all different set of tools to do that, and it causes another issue what we call the day two operations the actual uh, time when we need to do something with the data that we uh, that we are collecting um it's right now there is a huge gap between those two these two personas um these two use cases or 
day-to-day job and knowledge and skills. And we also wanted to create a one giant full suite of uh, 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 streaming uh, that would be enable that would be able to serve both the data engineers with their profession and their um, and, and their requirements, and also the people that are less technical and required to do something with the data. And both of them um, meet each other at the same platform, uh, which is what we built. And oh, so you bring up a great point um, when it comes to the people aspect of this, because in putting together the show topics for all of this, you know, I, I definitely hit on day two oper- operations and operations complexity, but we need people to manage all of this. And so, you know, I'll, I'll ask this, what's maybe the biggest barrier to entry to building these systems? Is it a technical challenge in operations complexity or is it a people problem? Like there, you know, AIML, we always hear there's a shortage of data scientists. Is there a shortage of folks with data streaming platform? experience as well for sure for sure so so from both sides right um and both the day one and the day two operations so the day one operations the maintenance and uh, uh and 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 the operations aspect of um the data streaming uh, platform the current data streaming platform it requires a lot of heavy lifting a lot of man- management overhead and really um i would say make uh, or fill out the uh, the operations people, uh, I would say 80% of their day or 70% of their day based on the market research that we did on uh, on our initial uh, development um, solely goes to uh, maintaining the platform itself. And the day two people, the day two uh, personas that needs to do something with the data, right now they have tools that either and force them to write in Java or to write in uh, or or to write in SQL. But not what if my use case is not necessarily um, is able to be processed uh, or transformed using SQL? What if I need to enrich it with some third party API? What if I need to do some transformation that is much heavier than uh, uh, than just a, a plain SQL join or or a query? So all of those issues currently, um, I would say, with the current tools and the current landscape that we um, that that is currently available in the market, I, I think that, um, or at least we know that, um, is is really making hard for teams to uh, progress. And definitely, as data scales and and the company grows and more data pours in and from different and more more sources and more clients needs to consume that data, um, it brings up a very um, high barrier um, to, to, to work on that and to uh, keep up the pace. Nice, nice. And let me shift gears for a second because there's, there's folks out there, some of our listeners will be relatively new to this space. Let's talk about the, the building blocks or the pieces, right? When it, you're talking about that day zero or day one experience of actually building up the systems. Um, in reading through the docs, it mentions like there's differences between a broker and the streaming stack. And can you elaborate on the pieces of the puzzle, if you will, right? Like what components are typically needed for a proper data streaming solution? Yeah. So I would say three layers Um, in Memphis, it's four, but in general, it's probably three layers. So it's the broker itself being that uh, sort of the bridge of the data, um, data comes in, data goes out. You have some producers that produce data in, and you have some consumers or, subs- or subscribers, depend on which technology are you using, 
um, that that collects the data from the other side. Um, and then we have the entire world of schema enforcement and schema uh, transformation. You have different tools for that uh, today. You have AWS Glue and you have uh, um, the famous uh, Confluent Schema Registry. Um, and Memphis uh, offers uh, uh, an equally cutting-edge technology or a, a feature for that as well called Schemaverse. Uh, and on top of that, um, that basically um, join the two together is the stream processing. So we have the broker, we have the transformation, and we have the processing. That's a, a fairly standard, uh, st- st- standard process of, um, uh, of real-time data or real-time ingestion. Um, and those would be the usual uh, fundamental layers in every streaming platform. Fantastic. Cool, 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 cool. Now, let's move on to, we've already talked about it a little bit, but uh, operations complexity. Um, something I see pretty much, I mean, not just in data streaming platforms, but across the industry, right, is any, anything related to cloud native, it, it seems these days. The more you scale it, the more complex it gets. The more complex it is, the harder it is to operate it. And also, by the way, it, it's the harder to get, you know, insights. Like, I, I, I hopefully this translates to an international audience, but the needle in the haystack, right? How do you find, right. how do you find the needle in the haystack? How do you mine the data and get the insights out of this? Has, has this been your experience in this space yeah. as well? And what are some of the, I don't know, uh, the, the easiest problems to solve when it comes to complexity? So if we need to give that uh, a, a one-word name, uh, I think, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Aaron, but it would be probably uh, observability, right? Uh, yes. It's all about observability, observability for, uh, for the ops people, observability for the developers, observability for um, the people that, uh, that actually needs to work with the data. I think that within data, um, and not just cloud-native, definitely cloud-native and microservices, um, definitely, but there we have open telemetry and the different um, projects that, uh, uh, that that has been arised by uh, uh, in, in in the last couple of years uh, that really gave us um, tools to, uh, uh, to 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 uh, sorry to to solve that challenges right to understand like how um, data or our communication um, is is going through the different microservices in our environment and in data it's a bit different in data it's not just seeing lines between producers and consumers it's also to feel the data to understand how the data looks like um, the lineage of the data so how it's been um, how it's been changed as it goes through different stations and that's a whole different observability um, and that was one of the or uh, until today and we do our best to tackle that uh, but until today that is probably one of the biggest challenges um, that we have in a microservices-based data pipelines, if you will, or a distributed data pipeline around the, the, the message broker or around um, our event streaming platform um, to really understand how data flows between the different, the different stations, the different stages. Um, and, and, and then when you have a good observability to that, then you are able to analyze the data properly and also to create the visualization that will probably come uh, afterwards. Uh, but yeah, that's that's one of the biggest challenges today 
um, we are working hard on on solving that on on our end. Yeah, yeah, that makes perfect sense, Yano. Thank you for that. And let let's talk about use cases for a little while, right? Like we've been talking about architecture. Let's move into practical uses, right? You, your organization has a product, Memphis Cloud. Um, what problems are you trying to solve in the market? And tell everyone a little bit more about like, is Memphis Cloud a SaaS offering, for instance, or how would it be implemented in an organization to help solve some of those people and complexity challenges we've been talking about? Right. So uh, the also when we started, we start we we made a clear or we defined a clear KPIs right right from the start that is really um, intertwined with with our value proposition, uh, which at the beginning was to bring the most simple to use um, or the most easiest to use yet super robust data streaming platform in the world. Um, so we. Um, wrote ourselves like a KPI that we constantly measure, which is how much time does it take for um, for a new user to start ingesting data into Memphis and actually start to produce um, insights or value out of it. Um, and right now, or before the cloud, with our open source version, it was between 10 minutes to 50, which is great for a new product, definitely around the streaming world. Uh, where usually the entry barrier is really high and the learning curve is really um, uh, is really hard. And right now, um, with Memphis Cloud, we're talking about minutes. So it really takes literally minutes um, from signing up, um, defining or uh, configuring your account, and then actually start working and processing with data. Um, so right now, it's standing on an average of seven minutes, which is great. Uh, and we're constantly working hard on uh, uh, on making it shorter and making it easier. And definitely, once the infrastructure for Kubernetes, because Memphis is an is a cloud native message broker or a cloud native data streaming platform, and um, once the infrastructure is also out of the way, that's a, that's a very easy product to use and to onboard to. Yeah, that's fantastic. And. While I'm thinking through this, I, 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 my next thought comes to data management, right? Um, because, yeah, if you're streaming it, you have to store it, you have to manage it. Um, it, it anytime we talk about data, it can be a little problematic. <laughs> you know, how is, yeah. the data, how is the data managed? What's the security around it? There's, you know, data sovereignty to consider. There's, you know, like GDPR to consider, like... How oh, yeah. does how does data management fit into the life cycle of all of this, and and what kind of design considerations do you have around data management? Well, that's a that's a broad topic. Um, <laughs> sure, it's probably its own podcast yeah. right there. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, that, yeah, that's data management. I, I've been lecturing about that for, for so long uh, through my time in in Dell Technologies. Um, yeah, so data management is definitely. A very uh, uh, a very challenging uh, aspect of things. Definitely, when you um, insert into it the entire world of compliance and GDPR and either European data or uh, US based uh, uh, data. So definitely, definitely a huge uh, a huge challenge there. I think that um, 
if you have a clear understanding of where your data will come from, then definitely you should build your strategy ahead um, and understand how to create sort of silos based on or your or close to uh, where the data is located and sort of create or understand what would be the bridge between the different silos um, in order for data to be able to travel um, across them or at least replicated uh, replicate between them either asynchronously or in active active way um, that's a huge challenge um, I think that we are that we are in general like the, the market and um, and 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 the industry is reaching there uh, out of necessity which is I think the um, strongest uh, force of nature right um, so uh, that that would be like the foundations for that, uh, but it's a very broad topic. Yeah, fantastic. And uh, you know, another uh, uh, talking point and, and last question because uh, we are uh, coming up on time here. One other thing I think about when you're building these large distributed systems, I'm sure there's some kind of trade offs, right? There's some kind of optimizations that. You know, like you said earlier, one of the KPIs was minutes to, you know, ingest data, if you will, right? And so for every one of those optimizations, sometimes there's trade-offs to happen and there's design decisions that have to happen. And so if somebody is new to this space and is considering this kind of solution, what where do you recommend they get started of like, hey, you really need to know about this or you need to be thinking about this when you're designing these systems? the the most interesting place in real time and streaming uh, i mean usually usually um we will start with batch and batch processing um because it's easier because it's much more simple to manage because it's much um faster to build in terms of our, in terms of architecture and platform so we usually start with batch now um the interesting part with the transitioning um, or the movement from batched real-time and streaming and then all the ideas and uh, and thoughts about how to do it and how to build it really comes with um, or really comes out of your own struggles um, when you try to implement certain use cases that are not very well fitted uh, with batch processing. And batch processing, by the way, for, for the audience, batch processing means to take bunch of data in a in a in a in a static timing um or in a uh, yeah in, in in static timing and just take a take a bulk of data and do some transformation on that bulk of data pour it into some database or do the entire processing on top of a database uh, and not on the way between the source and destination doing something or processing or transformation between or um, on the fly between source and destination, that means streaming and that means uh, real time. So batch is like um, starting a job at 12 p.m., um, getting data out of a, a certain database, do something to that, and then pour it again to some other table or other database. That's batch. Um, now, usually um, the need for real time and streaming comes from um, from certain actions or or, or um, certain um, necessities from our use case that force us to think about streaming and think about real time. And then 
there is no really rule of thumb um, of where should it start or where your journey with real time and streaming should start. Um, I, I would say it's uh, it's more depend on the use case itself and how fast do you want to react to a certain data to a certain event that happens uh, and 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 what should be the trigger should it be uh, based on time or should it be based on creation or update of something and then you understand like you you basically create your own path through the the streaming world um and 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 start to build your real-time pipelines there is no like the way i see there is no um, a specific book or a Udemy course that will tell you how to become like a, a streaming engineer, right? Or something like that, or, or, or a streaming platform uh, a, a specialist. Um, I think that it's a, it's a developer that understands that there is certain use case um, or uh, they have certain use case that requires a fast response um, in the minute that something happens. Um, and, and from there, they basically starting to build a real-time and real-time pipelines and real-time processes or event-driven architecture. Uh, and they are already uh, on the track. And it's not necessarily through some course or uh, learning uh, and, and material. Makes sense. Makes sense. So, yeah. It, that, and that mirrors a lot of what we've seen with a lot of these, a lot of the newer technologies, right? Um the rest of the industry and even how you get started. And that's actually one of the origins of this podcast is like, we're always interested in emerging technology and we're always asking folks, how do you get started? And and so that's, that's super helpful. I, actually, what I think we're going to do is we're, we're kind of at time. So we're going to close out there. So um, Yanov, um, where do you recommend if they're interested in learning more about this, where do you recommend they go to get started? Well, um, about about the domain itself, like mm-hmm. data streaming in, itself, in general. Memphis, yeah, Memphis. You know your technology in particular as well. We we did put some links in the show notes, by the way. But I was just wondering from your personal take. Thank you. Yeah, you recommend of course. As a first step, um, I would say um, Udemy definitely. Uh, my first steps at that domain was definitely a couple of. Uh, Udemy courses, understanding um, the e-story a bit of the coin technologies started from RabbitMQ, different patterns, uh, PubSub, um, and then push-based and pull-based uh, uh, um, consumption models, and then understand the coin technologies um, through different, again, uh, there are multiple uh, uh, courses around there uh, through Coursera or Udemy or um, a couple of very interesting newsletters that uh, usually uh, uh, creates very good materials to read. Also, um, uh, I, I, I constantly follow for years after uh, Seattle Data, Data Guy, um, if, if you're familiar with, uh, uh, with, with the person. So um, it's basically a data engineer that has been working around all data stacks uh, and all streaming stacks and write extensively about it through medium and through Substack. So I leave recommend to follow some tech leaders there as well. And in Memphis, we constantly do our best to upload um, genuine educational materials for people that wants to onboard and start their journey with data and specifically data, data engineering. So we have our newsletter, Dan, so it's a data engineering newsletter. 
And we also have our blog, which um, I'm not a huge fan of doing articles with Memphis is the best, Memphis is the greatest. I think it's not the very best way to uh, uh, to publish your work and your uh, and your company. So we do our best to put out materials that really helps the people to become better um, data engineers and, and developers around data. Uh, so those would be probably the sources that I would pick. Fantastic. That's perfect. And just as a reminder for everyone, take a look at the show notes. We've got, um, you know, of course, the main site in there, but we've got some getting started with Memphis. We've got Kafka versus Memphis. There's Memphis on GitHub if you're more interested in that. But everyone, take a look. I certainly encourage that. So, Yanov, I'm going to close it out now. So very much thank you, thank you, thank you for your time. This is really super fascinating and super interesting. Um, on behalf of Brian and myself, everyone that's out there, thank you for listening this week. And if you enjoy the podcast, wherever you get your podcasts, if you can, we'd love a review. You know, we'd love a five-star review, but we would love a review as well. And with that, I'm going to close us out. Thanks everyone again for listening. And thank you very much. Yes, absolutely. Thank you for your time, Yanov. And we will talk to everyone next week. Thank you for listening to The Cloudcast. Please visit thecloudcast.net to find more shows, show notes, videos, and everything social media. 